So pray with me. Lord God, we just are in awe of your power and everything that you give us every single day. And Lord, we ask that you've given us the physical rain, but now today give us the spiritual rain on this congregation. Let your Holy Spirit do the work that you have called for us to do. God, show your mighty power in a way that we cannot, for we are weakened of ourselves. And as we uh, get ready to go through the word, I ask that you reveal the things to us that we need. Let us rely only in you. For anyone who's seeking today, God, fill them up. You said, knock and the door shall be open. Seek and we shall find. Give me your, your unction, your, your spirit today to, to give the word that you have called. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so at the beginning of this week, I thought I had a message. I was going to continue on preaching from the book of Mark where Pastor Jim left off. <clears throat> However, last night about 10 p.m., God thought he had a different idea. And so um, it was late. I was tired. But um, I was sitting there, and I was like, well, God, if you want me to do a different message, you're going to have to, you know, reveal something to me quickly. But as I flipped through the Bible and as I was praying, um, the one thing I kept going over was in the book of Psalms where it says, be patient. <laughs> it's like, well, it's 10 p.m., God, I need a message, you know. <clears throat> and... Uh, what I was going to talk about was Judas in the Bible, because that's where Pastor Jim left off. Um, but God kind of started doing a work in me, and he reminded me that the Bible wasn't created to know about men, but to understand and know that I am God. <clears throat> and so being patient and, and reading my Bible, uh, I, I kind of went to, I'm going to go through different places, but the scripture that I want to start with is Psalms 27.1. And it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? And like many of you in here, I struggle. Like, when I get up here, I feel like the sense of I'm unworthy to be up here. Like, I, I don't have the words to speak. And uh, even like Rachel this morning, she was saying, like, I don't want to get up here. I haven't played keyboard in so long, and, and it's terrible. And, you know, we're so hard on ourselves, but we start to think, well, I'm just going to get up here and make a fool of myself, God. Like, what, what glory do you get out of me getting up here and making a fool of myself? And uh, God started talking to me this week, and he said, you know, there's nothing more beautiful than you making a fool of yourself for my sake. That if you're trying to do something in your own power and you make a fool of yourself, yes, it's humiliating. But if you make a fool of yourself for my sake, to me, there's nothing more beautiful <clears throat> And so that was kind of his first response to me. And so, uh, and if you know me by now, I'm going to tell you straight how it is. Like, I'm not the, the sports media guy you want on the podium because I'm going to say exactly how I feel, you know. I'm going to say, you know, it's bad, it's good, however I see it. Like, Jared asked me this week, you know, are we going to beat Bernard? I was like, well, we haven't scored a touchdown all year, so it's hard to believe that we'll even beat Bernard, you know. And that's probably not something I should say as a, as a coach of Marble Falls, but I'm going to call it as I see it and how I feel is what, what you see is what you get, you know. But we all have doubts. But we're reminded that the Lord is our light and our salvation, and Him there is no fear. So 
there's a lot of things that you can present as light, but if Christ is your light and you have no fear and you have confidence in salvation, then you're going to have everything you do in your life, everything that you present is going to be like a, a shining glow. That's why it says a light, right? That it should radiate from you. People should see you as something different, a light in the darkness. That's what we should be as representatives of Christ. <clears throat> and so today, what I'm going to talk about is kind of God's answers to the doubters like me that reminds us what is important. So as I got ready for our first week at the middle school of football, we played Burnett, and you know I was determined that I was going to have the best game plan, that I was going to have everything done exactly how I needed to have done. I had my play sheet ready. I had my call sheet ready. You know, I had the rosters ready. I made sure that there was nobody that was going to be more prepared than I was to beat Burnett, and I put every single effort that I had to put us in a good situation. <clears throat> but then on a game day, you know, I'm walking back and forth from the, the office, and uh, a lady who works at the school, she, she kind of stopped me. And you got to understand my frame of, of mind at this point. It's, it's I'm not even focused on God or anything. I'm just determined on doing the best job that I could do. I'm not even thinking about God all week. I've just been, you know, hammering down, trying to do the best job to put these kids in a good situation. <clears throat> and this lady, she works at the school, and her son plays football on our seventh grade team. And he... Uh, she came up to me, and she said, you know, how is Michael doing? And I said, well, he's, he's coming along. You know, he's, he's getting there. And she started to cry a little bit because she said, you know, when he was eight years old, he was diagnosed with cancer. And, uh, you know, it was in his lymph nodes. It was all over his body. And uh, we took him to church, and they prayed for him. And then a week later, they went back to the doctor, and he didn't have any cancer in his body. They couldn't find any cancer. <clears throat> and so... Um, he was now on our football team, but it kind, of, it kind of struck a nerve in me because I haven't even been focusing on God all that week. I've been determined to, you know, do this really good job, my own work, my own, you know, deeds. But God, in that moment, when I'm trying to get ready, get ready to go on the bus, he stops me to remind me that it's not about me, it's not about the team, but that it's about him. <clears throat> and so we were ready. We we went over to burn it, and like I said, I know I've, I've put so much time and effort into preparing for that game. And um, so we kick off. We're all excited, and, and I coached the offense, and it turns out that neither one of the teams that I coached scored even a point, and we didn't even win the game. <laughs> so um, even in that moment, I realized, and reflecting back, it was I did all of it in my own work, my own power. I was trying to strong arm all of it myself, and I had uh, neglected... God and that the work that he's always trying to do in my life. I mean, I should have saw the signs because even throughout the week, he, uh, he gave me a verse in uh, Psalms 33, 17. He said, don't count on your war horse to give you victory for all his strength that cannot save you. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't get the sign early on, I guess. But uh, and it wasn't losing the football game that, you know, that was hard on me. It was the fact that I've put all this time and effort into something, and, and then I realized that I had neglected, you know, my spirituality with, with Jesus. <clears throat> and so, uh, like I said, many times I get up here, and I just feel like I'm making a fool of myself, but uh, if you try to find happiness in your own work, you know, you're not making time for the Lord, and we're not showing the affection that He deserves, 
you're not going to be fulfilled. No matter even if we would have won that game, lost that game, it wouldn't have mattered. Like, I realized at that point that I had neglected what I was supposed to do. <clears throat> and so, uh, like I said, if, you know, you make a fool of yourself under your own strength, it's hurt, and you feel worthlessness. But if you make a fool of yourself for the sake of Christ, to him there's nothing more beautiful. That you're sacrificing your identity and your comfortability for Christ. Like, that's what the whole Bible is written about, correct? Sacrificing what we can for his sake because he deserves all the glory, not what God can give to us, you know? I recently heard... Um, I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit. Let me slow down. So if you would, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to John 14, 17. <clears throat> and we'll stay in the book of John, but I'm just going to go ahead and read it to you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world doesn't receive him because it isn't looking for him. And it doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So it's a reminder in the book of John that if we're not looking for Christ, if we're not seeking him, we're not going to find him. But if you know him and you have a desire to hunger to seek after him, that you will find him. So we have to make it a, a daily habit and a daily reminder that we have to seek him. There's, if we're going to be children of Christ, we have to pursue him. I had a conversation with a coach this week, and, you know, they had a, a guy that committed suicide. I'm like, do you think he went to, you know, heaven or hell? I was like, honestly, it depends if he knew God or not. And he was like, well, what do you mean by no God? I, like, what does that mean? And I was like, well, it's just like any relationship. You know, you have to seek him, pursue him. And he couldn't really wrap his mind around it because... You know, he's like, well, I can see my wife. I can, I can build a relationship with my wife. And I was like, well, you don't have to see God to build a relationship with him. You know, you can read your Bible. You can pursue him in prayer. And, and just like the wind, you can see the effects of the wind, but doesn't mean that the wind's not there just because you can't see it. <clears throat> and so I had some, some interesting conversations this week. And um, I, I heard a sermon it's called Ten Shekels in a Shirt by Pastor uh, Pear, or is it Pear Redhead? And it, he talked about pragmatism in the church and how it, it started to enter the church with um, basically pragmatism, if you don't know what it is, is if it works, then it must be true. That if it succeeds, it's good, you know? And really, that's the question we ask for any kind of business or whatever we do in life. Does it work? If it does work, then it must be good, right? But then he started to list some of the things in the Bible that um, contradicted this idea. So if you know of Noah in the Bible, speaking of rain, um, he, was, he was a great shipbuilder, but that was not his occupation. Does anybody know what his occupation was? It, it was to be a preacher. It was to be a preacher. Of someone who sought after God and to find people to bring into to Christ or to, to God. And um, so he had seven converts in 120 years. Okay, so he had his wife, he had his three boys and their three wives. That's all he had in 120 years. I don't know about you, but try justifying that to your mission board, you know. 
Seven converts in 120 years. What about Jeremiah, who was a, a mighty preacher? You know, but very little success. No one liked him. No one agreed with him. No one listened to him. No one followed his, what he said. The only one that really he didn't fail in the eyes of was God, because that's where he found his identity and was in God, not what people thought of him. <clears throat> and then, of course, we look at Christ. You know, Christ didn't come and build denominations or, you know, write a big book in and of himself. Like, he inspired people to write books about him. He went around and he healed thousands of people. But, you know, after his short 33 years of life and really his three years of ministry, he had one guy who, of his 12, his 12 guys in, you know, three-year ministry that betrayed him, which was Judas. He had one that denied him which was Peter. He had one that didn't want to prove, that needed proof that he was risen from the dead. I mean, and all the others, they just ran away, you know? So after his whole mission and life and his purpose, you would look at that and say, well, that's, it's not working. It must not be good, right? Or what about Joseph? Look at the life of Joseph, and he's about to get married, and he finds out that his future wife's already pregnant. I mean, that's, that's kind of hard to justify. Obviously, something's not working there. Um, what about John the Baptist? You know, I, I heard a, a, a sermon by uh, Leonard Ravenhill, and he talked about how pastors all the time come up to him and say, you know, I'm the next John the Baptist. And he said, well, that's good. You better increase your life insurance because he only lived six months when his ministry started. <laughs> so, uh, and then you even see the life of Paul where, you know, he's going from town to town. He's always on the run. He doesn't really have a, a set place where he sets foot. He has a lot, he has a lot of different places where he goes, and um, he has people that well, he can talk to, but for the most part, he doesn't have a set, you know, group of following outside these few people. And so the idea of pragmatism that if it succeeds, it's good, started early in the 1900s and after the, the early revivals it, that you know, if it's working, then it must be good, and somehow that entered into the church. And what um, Redhead, you know, he talked about was the idea of humanism. It came into the church. And what humanism is, is that uh, if it makes you happy, then that's the purpose of what is existence, that if it makes, you're supposed to be happy. Like, that's the, the reason for it. And so... Um, when he, uh, he talked about humanism and then how it entered fundamentalism. And fundamentalism is that they believe in everything we do. They believe in the resurrection. They believe in the Bible. They believe in Christ. But they say, well, you need to accept Christ because that will get you to heaven because you want to be happy. You want to get to heaven, right? And so we'll get you to say these words and say, uh-huh, in the right few spots, and you're saved, you're going to heaven, and everybody's happy. And so he really starts to show that humanism has entered into the church and how it's one of the things that has really uh, brought down the value of Christ. And he even talked about, uh, he went on a mission because he, I, I think it was Africa where he went, but he talked about, um, he, he went on this mission because he thought it would be unright if these people didn't know about Christ and they didn't get a chance to, you know, to know about Christ and go to heaven. But it turns out when he got there, they all had heard about Christ. They had plenty of 
missionaries that came and told them about Christ, and they didn't want Christ. That they loved their sin, and they wanted to stay in it, and they didn't care. And it began to make him kind of angry, like, God, why would you bring me here? Why would you make a fool of me like this? Like, these people are wicked and evil. And he said, you know, what God told him was, well, ain't I just? If they go to hell, it's not because I didn't send somebody. It's because you, they deserved it. Their, their iniquity, their sin, they love their sin too much. And so he, he wrestled with God. He prayed. He didn't understand, like, why God would do this. And the, the word that he got was, he said, you know, it wasn't audible, but it was like a revelation to him that I didn't send you to those people for their sake. I sent you to those people for my sake. Because even though they are wicked and evil and they keep hating me and they love their sin, I'm going to still pursue them. Don't I deserve the reward of my suffering that I died so that I could pursue them? even though they're going to reject me? I didn't send you to those people for your sake or for their sake. I sent them for my sake. And so it changes the way you look at everything. It, it's not about your happiness and, and you, but it's about bringing honor and glory to God. <clears throat> and so it changed his view on things. So we are not, you know, created for humanism. And even though it has, you know, enter the church, or the end of all is not being happy. Yes, happiness is a byproduct, but it's not a prime product, you know. Yes, God cares about your happiness. Yes, he wants you to be happy, but it's not the primary purpose of existence. <clears throat> so we are not created to be happy, but the, the purpose is that God is glorified. And there's two things that I think, and Leonard Ravenhill says this a lot, but there's two things that keep us from pursuing Christ. The idea that we're too bad that we can't seek Christ, or that we're so good that we don't need Him. And those two ideas keep us from pursuing Him more closely. <clears throat> Both which are, are lies, because no matter how good you think you are, no matter how bad you think you are, we know that we need Christ and we need to get in a closer relationship with him. <clears throat> and so, you know, even like with Pastor Jim, he, uh, early on when I started going to this church, he would tell me that, you know, with marriage, a good thing at marriage advice was, you know, marriage is not created for your happiness, it's created for your holiness. And uh, I never heard it that way before, but it, it, I started thinking about it. It makes sense, you know, that yes, Marriage is something that we can be happy in, but it's not the primary purpose of it. It is so that we can be committed to somebody, so we can glorify God, and we can maintain holiness. <clears throat> and uh, the scripture that I'm going to focus on in the book of John is John chapter 17, and we're just going to start at verse 1. So if you're already in the book of John, you should be a few pages away. <clears throat> And right here, this is the, the prayer of, of Christ, the last prayer before he goes and he suffers on the cross for our sake. And I'm actually going to read the whole entire chapter 17. I know it's a lot, 
But this whole thing, it's in red, and it's the words of Christ, and I think that there's so much in it, and whatever you take out of it, whatever God brings out to you is fine by me, but I really think that there's a lot in here that we can get out of it, and I don't feel comfortable just stopping somewhere. <clears throat> so Jesus' final prayer. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives you eternal life to each one of you have, that you have given him. And this is the way that the eternal life to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to, here, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you have given to me. Now, Father, bring me unto glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you have given me for this world. They are always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message that you gave me. They accepted it, and now that I can come from you, and they believe that you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me so that they may bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in the world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that you will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you given me. I guarded them so that not once, not one was lost except the 100 for destruction. And as the scripture foretold, now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the, word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these dis disciples, but also for all who will ever be in me through their, the, through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will be, believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want them, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you give me because you love me even before the world began. O oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. The disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for them will be in them, and I will be in them. So a lot of 
scripture there. But as we see at the beginning of it, he talks about the whole purpose of his sacrifice, and that is to bring the Father honor and glory. Now he does mention their joy, but joy is for those who believe in him and who are in him. And so our whole purpose is to bring glory to the Father in everything we do. And even Redhead would say, you know, the powerful statement you could make that in your life would be, God, I don't know if I'm going to end up in heaven or hell, but I'm going to give you all the glory and affection you deserve regardless of what happens because you deserve it. <clears throat> and so, you know, as we close... I just want us to pray to know God more honestly, to, to seek his will even if it makes us look foolish. You know, be his representative even though it may make us look foolish. And he even says in his word, if the world hates you, rejoice because it hated me first. We don't have to bargain with God for our benefit or for our happiness like Judas did, because as you know, Judas was their accountant for the disciples, and he controlled all their money, and they, they knew that he would steal money from them from time to time. But Christ still loved him and pursued him, even though knowing that he was going to be the one that betrayed him. He seeks the lost and now is in full intercession for our behalf, and this is the reward of his suffering, of going to the cross and dying for our sake. So the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? You know, the, if you've, I'm sure most of you have heard of the Salvation Army. It was founded by William Booth, who originally started in uh, Europe. And their whole three catchphrase was, we're going to give you soup, we'll give you soap, and we'll give you salvation. And out of those three S's, they, they started to spread the Salvation Army from Europe all the way over to America and throughout the whole entire world. And um, what they, and it was kind of funny because they even had like these suits like in the army where it was like a green suit with like, I'm a commander of this division or whatever. And some funny things that even William Booth would say is, you know, he would say, fire the volley, which meant say, hallelujah. And so during his big guy with big beard, he would walk around and say, fire the volley. And everybody would have to say hallelujah, you know. But the one thing about him was he was terrible at altar calls, and he would get so frustrated by it. So, you know, he'd be walking around. He's like, you need to come up here to the altar. We're all going to hell. You need to get up here. And, the, and you know, and they're not, they're not coming up there. They're sitting in their seats. And then he would look at him. He'd say, pray, and then, you know, put their head back down. And, but... Um, even in some of the interviews with, like, Leonard Ravenhill, he, would, he talked about, because he met some of the, the heirs from William Booth, and he said, you know, on one occurrence that it seemed like God had actually lifted people up out of their altars and brought them up to the front, like, that they would start scrambling to get up here, you know, because he just kept pressing in. He kept pressing in, and he wouldn't let up until it happened. <clears throat> and so... You know, from this, we now, even a hundred and something years later, we still have the Salvation Army. He was the founder of something that is still going on today, well past his, his family's life, because he was faithful, and he continued to seek after Christ each and every, every day, and um, 
you know, even his wife was in on it and his, his family was in on it. Like that was their life was bringing salvation, bringing soup and bringing soap to, to all the world, basically. And so um, let's just close with prayer and then we'll, joy will come up. We'll have some more worship. <clears throat> Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness, your light, your, your salvation you've given unto us. And while we know we are unworthy, we'll make a fool of ourselves from time to time. You get honor and glory from it. Let us continue to press forward the race that you have given us, no matter the cost. God, we just pray over this whole congregation that you will do a stirring and a spiritual rainfall will take place like never before. God, my heart is is heavy with the need to get closer to you. Continue, Lord God, to put your burden on this church to do things right. So 30 to 100 years from now, we can say we did things the right way. We did it with everything we had, and we did it for you. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.